0: God, not the God of philosophers and the wise, but the God of the prophets and the apostles, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May we know you as you truly are. May we understand and accept even the hard things that you have revealed to us in your word. We know that we should not call upon you as other than you are, a creature of our own fancy rather than the true and living God. Therefore, God, we ask that you to enlighten our minds that so we may know you as you are. In Jesus' name. So in 2014, the Pew Charitable Trust, if you've ever heard of them, they did a survey. They surveyed Americans. A whole bunch of them. Thousands. And when they surveyed them, 72% of the people that answered the survey believed in heaven. Cool. Only 58% of them believed in heaven. Boy, I hate talking all of a sudden. Oh man, I just can't wait to talk about hell. <laughs> no. No. But well, we live in a God is love and has a wonderful plan for your life sort of world. And we bristle at anything that sounds like judgment. <laughs> of course, we know in modern America there's only two real sins seeming intolerant and seeming judgment. Those are the two things that cannot not, stand. By way of review, remember that we first learned a couple of sermons ago that the Bible does not say you're going to spend eternity in heaven. The present heaven, the place where right now God currently resides, is a temporal respite for our immaterial part on the way to something better. Someday, we will be resurrected to a new physical body when Jesus returns. A new physical body that is fit to live in a new heavens and a new earth with the temple of God, the glorious New Jerusalem. There we will experience the presence of God fully. There we will be where God has created us to live eternally in his presence. And we'll be there someday. <laughs> remember that as it was meant to be in the beginning it will be in eternity At the cross we know Jesus died in our place for our sin he died to pay the penalty for God's wrath that we've earned for sin because we know the way sin is death and he rose from the dead and when he rose from the dead he rose physically conquering death when someone places their faith in him as the payment for their sins, they receive the forgiveness of their sins because Jesus' payment satisfies that penalty. And those who put their faith and trust in Christ receive someday a resurrection to eternal life in a physical eternity if you have endured physical. Just as Jesus, when he rose, was physical. If you be touched, We have to understand the Bible says that not everyone can look forward to that sort of journey. Look at what the book of Revelation says In the throw it into the lake of fire. Um, that does not sound So when people hear stuff like that, and they read that, and they think about it, ah, the first thing they say is, very rude, but a loving God would not send anyone. that it starts in the wrong place. Where we start with God matters. And we have to start with God where God starts Himself. And when God defines Himself, where does God start? Holy. God defines Himself as holy. The root of various words for holy in Bible are do with the idea of separation from anything evil or sinful or unclean. And that separation is transcendent from anything that's impure or tainted or somehow imperfect. And so God exists separate and exalted above all creation in his transcendent majesty. He's separate from all evil in the pure uprightness of his nature. His holiness means he's absolutely perfect in every way possible. If there's any way possible the scriptures regularly refer to God's holiness, and that His holiness is uniquely His. I'm just going to give you a tiny sampling of the verses that talk about Exodus chapter 15, verse 11: "Who is like You, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like You, majestic in holiness, awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders?" It's a rhetorical question, right? Who is like You? The obvious answer is nobody. Psalm 77, 13. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Again, God. Isaiah 6, 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory. Isaiah sees God. He already heaven's opening. Yeah, repeat it once. Repeat it twice. Repeat it three times. And three times is the best. The only thing is the top. is the superlative. The only thing in the Old Testament God has ever called in the superlative is holy, holy, holy. There's nowhere where it says blah, blah, blah. I didn't like that. Only, holy, holy, holy. First Peter 1:15. But as He called you, is He who called you is holy. You will also be Who will not fear, O oh Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts and ministry. And where we start with God becomes particularly critical when it comes to his love and his justice. Now, now we just came through a series on First John. And even if you weren't here, and honestly, even if you had never darkened the doors of a church entire life you have were... the trouble the idea of love as the divine characteristic of god is that if you aren't careful it will bulldoze over justice and judgment <coughs> if love is the primary way god relates to humanity then the argument goes how He possibly going to judge people and worse than that send him to eternal separation from himself like we just read in the book of revelation that doesn't sound very funny Primary, and the logical conclusion people come to is that they can do anything they want because the love God will not judge anyone. Anyway. You might disagree with them, but sort of like a kid, right? Your kid could do a lot of new You can do a lot of really dumb things. And you still don't. And you know what? I did dumb things. Some of my parents know about it. Some of my way. Maybe they did maybe they did Okay. All kids do go to It's okay. We accept it. Everybody says that. But other than that, other than that, <laughs> now we only got you here for a third of month's messages. you're going to have to take the money. But here's the thing you see love through the filter of holiness, all the other things in the Bible make so much more sense. God's holiness demands that sin be penalized. But His love makes a way to escape that penalty through Jesus. And thus, as the Reformers talked about, God can be both just and justified. Because God can't at random just decide that his own rules or his own nature don't matter. That would mean he's unjust, and he's not going to be unjust if he's holy. If he's perfect in every way possible, then part of that is he can't be unjust. It also would mean that he sent his own son to die for no reason. Who sends their own kid to die for no reason? That'd be horrible. Yeah, Imagine there's no hell. Imagine there's no punishment for sin. What do you do with some of the evils? For example, remember ISIS, right? Remember those guys? These guys are right? nuts. I don't hear much about them anymore. I don't know what they're doing. I don't. I mean, I don't know these guys. I don't know. Well, right, they murder people, right? Remember the video that marched in the crucifying children, raping women, murdering people of other faiths, or anybody they thought was suspected of gay, or they're a different flavor of Muslim, from them, they killed them too, whatever else. Now, if there's no penalty for sin, if there's no hell, then you know what? All those guys got off scot-free. Even if they were killed in this life, they got off scot-free. No hell means, ultimately, there are no consequences for how you live in this life. Which is a good reason why people would want no hell. No penalty. There's no sin. There's no punishment. It doesn't matter. And that would make God very unjust. Because while he might reward belief, no hell would mean he never punishes any sin. Where would justice be? Now that also takes us to another wrong belief about hell that I want to bring up before we look at Jesus. And that is the idea of annihilation. Now, maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't, but the most common alternative, hell or no hell, is the folks who come in the middle, they talk about annihilation. It started back in about 8330, a guy named Arnobius, he articulated the idea that while not everyone goes on to eternal life, those that do not believe in Christ are not punished eternally, God just destroys them. that doctrine came to be known as annihilationism. The idea is pretty much that at the final judgment, the souls of the wicked are simply destroyed. Whew! It's gone. For example, for the Seventh-day Advent, so this, this is the standard doctrine of the Seventh-day Adventism. is that they're annihilation. Now, before we look at Jesus' words, and I'm not this, to argue that once again, just as if there's no hell, this is no punishment. What sort of potential threat of punishment for actions in this life is it if after death I'm just not going to exist? Annihilation is true, then I can commit any amount of unspeakable evil in this life with no eternal ramifications other than and, Sort of like an old, you know. He'd pull a to murder a few million Cambodians, but who cares? No eternal justice, it doesn't matter. He can kill whoever he wants, he's just gonna disappear when he dies. And if that were true, that would also make God unjust and unholy, because those sorts of crimes would have no real punishment, because the denial of something a person never had in the first place, eternal life, is not a punishment at all. For example, it's not a punishment for you to say, you can't have a Corvette roller. I never had a Corvette. I'm not punishing you by not giving me a Corvette if I never had a Corvette in person. Same thing. I mean, imagine if you got a speeding ticket. Okay? (coughs) I don't know if you have ever to speed data. I will publicly admit that I, perhaps, in the past, on a certain occasion, many years ago, have received paperwork from an officer representing the government of the state of Idaho, that I, in fact, had exceeded the posted speed limit somewhere, somehow. He read. Right? So if you don't do anything with it, there they don't suspend your license. You don't there's a fine listed, but if you don't pay it, they don't come track down. They don't issue a bench warrant for your arrest, for example. And that's what happens, I guess, you go that I've never. I've always paid my ticket. <laughs> if you don't pay one eventually, right? They're gonna put out a bench warrant for your arrest. Right? What does that mean? That means that if there is no enforcement the penalty is irrelevant. I can drive as fast as I want and I get a ticket, but if I don't have to pay the fine, and if there's no enforcement if I don't pay the fine, it doesn't matter. There might as well not be a penalty. This is a meaningless ticket. That is the message of annihilationism. Do whatever you want in this life because there is no eternal consequence. God will not hold you accountable other than. You just don't get to go on to some eternal life. But Jesus has something very different to say. And that's the crux, I think. If we're going to talk about hell, and if we say it's not real, or that no one is punished there, then Jesus himself must be a liar. Because the reality of hell, as told by Jesus, is something very different. We're going to start in Matthew 25, where he's describing the final judgment. I think he's describing here the same judgment in Revelation chapter 20 that we read earlier. Matthew 25, starting verse 41. He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil in the name of God. that lake of fire that Revelation 20 was talking about. For I was hungry, and gave me no food. I was thirsty, and gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit. not minister to you. And he will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment But the righteous in eternal life. Did you notice how eternal punishment and eternal life are contrasted there? Same word, eternal? Okay. Let's bounce back man. So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his an angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, he who has ears of man. How about Mark 9? Starting verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. But, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter. God with one eye and with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Those are not happy scenarios. So there's the things we tell. I mean, well, there's two more something to do that, <laughs> why are they always trying to possess something physical? I have an explanation for that. But you're not going to hate this <laughs> one. Whatever this punishment is, it clearly affects things done. Okay? Then it's eternal, right? It's not going to end after a certain time. You're not going to enter eternity in eternal life. And, you know, like uh, Amazing Grace goes, well, we've been there 10,000 years. Oops! I fell off Mount Everest and I died. No. Is there going to be a Mount Everest? I don't know. I would argue it's very possible as long as it's I don't see. Sleep well. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, eternal life and eternal punishment are meant as contrasts. Those who have given themselves to Jesus eternal life and those who have refused his offer of life through eternal punishment for their own sins. Now say to myself, well, why does it have to be eternal? That seems really harsh. Because God is infinite. And when you sin against how do you pay for an infinite offense with infinite punishment? How does Jesus pay for an infinite offense? Because he is God in the flesh, therefore also infinite. the his penalty, For his payment of the penalty, is enough for all the sins. The second thing is it's clearly punishment. The word Jesus uses for punishment, Colossus, means literally. That's what the fire not quench; the worm does not die. It's described in ways to indicate that those who are subject to it are aware of it. Look at what Revelation 14 talks about. It. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night these the worshippers of the beast and the image and whoever receives the mark of his name. No rest day or night those who, are in the end times, follow No rest. Silloin is not funny topic Because there's no good news in it other than no one has to go there. Eternal, conscious punishment of the worst kind. And and even, even if you look at all are meant to teach something about reality. It still tells you that the reality of the metaphor is eternal of consciousness and poor. It's those oh. two things. It's horrific no matter what. So the good news is that nobody has to go ahead that's what Jesus did. The most warnings He meant to warn anyone who would reject his offer of salvation that as he says, you fear the one who can both body and soul in the You might fear the things in the world. You might be afraid of what might be, people might think, of it. there should be some legitimate fear of the fact that God will decide your destiny. But those who embrace the Lord, the Lord of eternal life, they're also a warrant for us because they warn us about what I call the crime of the century. Because it's bad enough that some people will reject Christ, but it's also terrible when those who know Him and have experienced His grace and His forgiveness, like we have, And the grace of the Lord. Peter tells us that God is patient. He doesn't want anybody to perish because he's come to repentance. But the thing is, Paul tells us in Romans 10 14, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they here hear without somebody telling them? not my by Moses. And not they watch Fox News. How are they to hear without well, somebody tell them? You see, nobody, nobody has to go now. hell. going to tell them about the love of the Savior who died against them so they have eternal life. There's uh, a lot. Thank <laughs> you.